As we have been involved in this special mini-series, it is just a personal opinion here right now, but in my opinion, this week and next week is the crux of really what we need to get um, in all of the applications. And after this week and next week, we will deal specifically with the subject of music. So we're pretty much on schedule with what we wanted to do to condense it down uh, to a, a short series. But we're dealing with this morning, we've entitled it Unity Preserved, and as I've already mentioned, it'll be this week and next week, which I think is the, the crux of what we really need to grab. In this series, in dealing with the unity, we're talking about the unity in the body of Christ and obviously by extension in the local church and how there should be unity as Christians universally as the body of Christ. We had to represent Christ by our love one for another and to be in unity. And the local church is certainly to reflect that. In this series, we have seen three parts already. One, unity lacking. And the bottom line in that, very simply this morning, and again, we've had interruptions we had last week with the missions conference, but with the unity lacking, since sin has entered into the world, ever since that, there has been a lack of unity since the fall with God and with man before salvation. However, we took it to the second realm, and that was the area of unity established. And this is foundational to both this week and next week and the subject of music. So don't miss it. Don't take it for granted. Unity was established through the cross of Jesus Christ. Through the gospel. It was the work of God. We did not bring the unity about. He did. We became beneficiaries of it through faith in Jesus Christ. So the unity was established by God himself through the gospel, whereby he made us one with him in the body of Christ, and he made us one with another as believers in the body of Christ. This is the work of God. He's established it. He did the unity, and I'll come back to that again this morning. And then our third section was, yet we see that even as believers, the unity is threatened. And it's threatened in two primary areas that I concentrated on for our time's sake with the concept of the series and the time frames that we hope to accomplish it in. And that was one, since we have many members. Yes, there's one body, but we've seen very clearly that there are many members in that body, and it's obviously even true as we look around this church this morning. We're a local church, but there's many people here. There's not just one person, and that poses a threat to the body of Christ, even though it is a good thing. And the second one is the flesh, and we'll be dealing with that again next week and uh, hopefully giving you very practical situations in dealing with it. But not only because there are many members, but a second threat to the body in the unity is we are here still in our physical being. We still have our flesh. And our flesh wants to dominate. And we said it results in a battle. And that battle goes on daily with every one of us. So just because you're a believer doesn't mean you're in a battle. A lot of times Christians don't act like they're in a battle. But we are. And the flesh is lusting against the spirit. And the spirit's lusting against the flesh. And it's a battle that we're engaged in. And when we lose that battle personally, we threaten the unity in the body and the unity in the local church. 
We do. We threaten it when we're losing the battle. So today we come to the last, the fourth section, as far as the last section, and catch it this way, is foundational matters. If you remember when I started the series, I said before you can really jump into the specifics, you've got to have the foundation, such as there was no unity, God established it, it does get threatened, and what is the final section, the foundational, of the final of the foundational section? It's unity preserved. We, and I repeat that word, we, are to preserve the unity of the body. We are not called to establish it. We are not called to bring it about. We are called to preserve it. God brought it about. So that gets us right into our responsibility in our text. What is our responsibility? Well, Let's look at the first thing that's said there in Ephesians chapter 4. A conclusion based upon, and let me just give you a quick summary of Ephesians because as you know, and if you happen to be visiting today, I believe in expository preaching, going verse by verse, but for the series, we have been moving around into a number of texts because it fits the concept of what we're trying to accomplish with dealing with the subject of unity. But now that we're in Ephesians, by the time you come to chapter 4, verse 1, he's already laid down that foundation of the fact that we've been elected, we've been called, and all that God has done for us. And because we are believers in Christ, he starts off with a conclusion. Therefore, because you are a believer, we have a responsibility. Now listen, if you are a professing Christian here this morning, you and I have a responsibility. What is that responsibility? It's to walk worthy right away. He says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, and we'll deal with that, but he says, I implore you to walk worthy of the manner of the calling to which you have been called. Believers are emphatically implored. They're begged. They are pleaded with. Listen to what Paul's saying. Some of the translations, he entreats them or he urges them. That's what he means when he says, I'm employing you. He is begging them. Why? Because the tendency as a believer is not going to be to pay attention. And I'll be honest with you right now. It's very possible for you to sit in that pew and just turn me off right now. You're not turning me off. You're turning God's word off. He's employing them to pay attention to this. Walk worthy. What does that mean? Live a life that's fitting. Don't miss it. What do you mean fitting? You call yourself a Christian? Live like one. That's what he's saying. Live like a Christian. What do you mean live like a Christian? Live like a saint. What do you mean a saint? We all know what it means. It's a separated one. Be separated to God. See your life as a pilgrimage. See your life as an alien to this world. Yes, you have to live here. Yes, we are got to function in what we do, but we are to live our life worthy to the name of a Christian. And honestly, folks, today that means very little to people. Even in the time of Christ, that meant... When you talk about even the concept of baptism, which I've been covering with the high school. 
to be baptized, they put their life on the line. They could have been killed. Today we go around with the word Christian and it has very little meaning to it. We're to live worthy of that. We've already seen last time we met in this discussion, what does that mean? We've been called to freedom. And here we are celebrating Memorial Day today, which is officially tomorrow. But we're celebrating it even here as a church. We had to live in freedom. We're called to that, but we also saw that that means that we are called to live in the character of Christ that is holy. Why? Because he's holy. The one we're representing is holy. We ought to live accordingly. We ought to live a holy life. We ought not to live as belonging to this world because we don't. We're to live in it. We're to enjoy it. But we're not to love it. What we're to do is love Christ. What we're to do is love pleasing him. And so we're called to walk worthy. Now, verses, verse 2 in this passage, I will come back to either at the end of the message today or as it leads into next week because there's the practicality. I'll mention it, though, for this morning right away. It requires humility. It requires gentleness. It requires patience. And get this one, tolerance for one another in love. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Most Christians do not have tolerance with anyone that doesn't agree with them, period. And I'm going to tell you right now, that was the Pharisees. So you're going to have to have humility, so am I. Gentleness, patience, and tolerance, and we'll deal with that when I get very specific and deal with a couple of things next week. But I want to go to verse 3 next, because in our responsibility, we're to walk worthy. The practical objective is the way I put it in my notes. You can do it differently. But the practical objective of that walking worthy is verse 3. What is it? Being diligent to preserve, there it is again, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And that's where this whole series started. What is the call there? It's to preserve. Let me give you some other words. To keep. To maintain. To guard. That's what he's talking about there. It is our responsibility to preserve it. We didn't establish it, but we had to preserve it. We had to keep it. We had to maintain it. We had to guard. Remember, God established it. It is not created by us. And listen carefully to my next statement. Nor is the unity of the Spirit maintained by outside sources. It's not something that's outside. What does that mean? You don't maintain the unity or preserve the unity of the spirit by conferences. You don't do it by a list of laws of do's and don'ts. It doesn't happen that way. It'll never happen that way. It doesn't happen by setting treaties, by having group meetings. It's an internal thing that's done individually and is required. Well, how do we do it? How do we do this? How do we maintain? How do we preserve the unity of the Spirit? First of all, notice what he says in verse 3. Being diligent. You and I have to be diligent. What does that mean to be diligent for it? It means to have a zeal for it. Do you have a zeal for the unity of the body? It means to endeavor. It means to make it our goal. 
It means to be eager for it. I'm trying to use a bunch of terms so you get it. I am to be eager. I am to have a zeal for. I'm to set as my goal what? To keep the unity. You say, obviously, Pastor Dan. Well, let me ask you some questions. How often do you ever think of the unity of the body? You say, what are you talking about? How often in the course of the day do you ever think about the unity of the body in the decisions that you make, in the actions that you take, or in the speech that you use? Do you ever consider it? Most of the time, I would say to us, is what we do is all we think about is what we like or we don't like. What we want or we don't want. But I challenge myself and I challenge you. How often when you go to make a decision, how often when an action you take, how often when you go to speak with your mouth, do you think what I'm about to say, how will that affect the whole body? Or do you just blurt out what you're doing and you say, ah, that's me, fool, by the book of Proverbs? Yeah. We don't think that way. But it is our responsibility to preserve. I am to put all my energy, you are to put all your energy into keeping the unity of what God has brought together. And it must be found in what? The bond of peace. Not in pleasing myself. Not in saying what I want to say. Not in getting my own way. I'm talking to me. I'm talking to you. It must be found in the bond of peace. We are, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we are at peace with God because of the gospel. According to several passages of scripture, we're at peace with one another. Why? Because of the gospel. That's why I went back there. And we are to tolerate one another. Look at that verse in verse 2. Tolerate one another in love. Is that what we're doing when there's differences? When someone differs from you in an area of an opinion, and I'm going to get there, do you tolerate them with love or do you talk about them behind their back? Or do you make such statements as the church is going down the tubes? Or do you make such statements as, well, he's going to see, he'll learn. Or she's going to learn. Yeah, that's really building unity. That's not tolerating one another in love. Do you ever turn around and say, you know, maybe I need to learn? You say, you do, Pastor Dan. Absolutely. But maybe you do too. Maybe you are a little wrong. We are bound together by peace. That is, we are held together. If you really want to get into the term, there's a band around us, if you will. That's what it means. And that is peace and love. In fact, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 for a minute. When he talks about we are to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, in that thing that holds us together, now take a look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, look at verse 14. Beyond all these things, 
Put on love. We know that. We talk about love all the time. We've heard, I think, between myself and Pastor Stringer, you've probably heard 30 messages on love in the last four months. There's a lot of talk about it. Verse 14. But all these things put on love, which is, watch, the perfect bond. That's what we're talking about in Ephesians. The perfect bond of what? Unity. Love and peace. Everybody wants that in the world. We're not talking about love and peace in the world. We're talking about it in the body of Christ. And you and I are to be diligent. In other words, I put it this way. We are to work hard, I am and you are, work hard at keeping the unity of the spirit that God has established because we are bound together with Christ and with one another by the love of Christ. Because we are to love as Christ has loved. We are to treat others as Christ has treated us. We ought to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. And that will give us not only the peace with God, but the peace with one another. Again, we ought to work hard, every one of us. We ought to make it our labor to be keeping the unity of the Spirit because we are bound together in love and peace through what Christ has done. And yet, there is a challenge. Is there not? We have to be honest. And we've seen it already, but we're expanding on it. We have to admit that there's a great challenge. What is it? The differences. We do have differences. Good, solid, Bible-thinking, diligent to study, wanting to know the truth, wanting to honor God, and yet we still have differences. We do. And that brings us to our text. Go to Romans chapter 14 of our responsive reading. Let's go there. Romans 14. But we ought to work hard. Our responsibility is to walk worthy and to diligently work hard to maintain the unity in the body which Christ has established. The challenge is differences. Chapter 14, verse 1. Now accept the one who is weak in the faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment. Watch this. My translation here, the New American Standard says, on his opinions. Differences exist. Some translations, the King James says, doubtful disputations. Other translations say, doubtful things. Others say questionable things. The point is, at the end of verse 1, he's saying, don't be passing judgment when there's doubtful things, questionable things, there's opinions. We do not agree on everything in practical ways of our sanctification. Be honest. Right in this auditorium. Never mind those who are traveling today and who aren't even here. Right here, those of us who are here, we do not agree on the practical areas of our sanctification when it comes to functioning in our daily life, when it comes to areas that scriptures do not specifically address. I'll repeat that. We do not all agree 
in a practical way of sanctification, in the functioning of our daily lives when it comes to areas that the scriptures do not specifically address. Such as what? Bible versions, entertainment, clothing style, music, food and drink, and all the other things I listed when I started and many beyond that, this series. Let me also make another statement. It is important to realize that differences and disagreements, now catch this, do not necessitate disunity. Not at all. You can have disagreements and differences. In fact, you should. But you can still have unity. It'll depend on how we react. It'll depend on what our attitudes are. And whether or not our attitudes are what they should be biblically will affect whether there's unity in the body when there are disagreements, when there are differences of opinion. And by the way, everybody has them. We have them individually. We have them as families. Some families think one thing, another family thinks another thing. You have them in local churches, some local churches and other local churches think a little differently. You know what they're called? And oh no, we're going to scare people with this one. They're called standards. And don't sit here telling me you don't have any standards. I read a great article recently that had to do with the government and how it dealt with a couple of policies that they came up with and people were fighting for things and they said, don't be so foolish. Don't tell me you have no standards. And then it went and listed practical things that everybody in the country makes decisions and decides whether they're going to do this or they're not going to do that. We all have standards. And of course, my standards are right. Now, why do they say that? Because you're saying the same thing. Well, it's obvious, Pastor Dan, you're wrong. I'm right. Yeah? And you're right and you're wrong, and you're right and you're wrong. And that's what happens. Our standards are the perfect ones. Well, we need to have a proper understanding. That literally is what the Greek word means. The Greek word at the end of verse 1 is opinions. It's discerning things, things we have to discern. In other words, you can't look at Scripture and it says what type of entertainment to be involved in. It doesn't say that. You say, oh, yes, it does. No, it doesn't. You will draw principles that will set standards for you, and I will as well, and so will the local church. These are areas, listen carefully under this, that we must make judgments. And this is what you want to catch. This is part of our maturing as a Christian. You have to make decisions. That's what we want with our children. As I raised my children, I'm telling you the truth, they would, when they were younger, I would make all the decisions for them as they came along. And through the process, even now, I still get calls by some of my children that are married and whatever, and what about this day? I'll give them my opinion, but then I'll say, you've got to make the decision. Here's my opinion. You think about it. Why? That's part of their maturity. We want them to mature. It's the same thing as a Christian. Well, what do I do in this? Call Pastor Dan. I can't get him. It's his fault. You know? No. I'll call Pastor Stringer. I'll call the elders. No. You've got to learn to make decisions yourself. That's what helps you to grow. As Christians, as families, at churches. So how do we do this? How do you go through this process? That's why it's going to take this week and next. 
Let me tell you what we're not talking about. I mentioned it already, but I want to repeat it because with the missions conference, with this holiday weekend, people are coming and going, and I don't want you to miss this. We are not talking about direct prohibitions of Scripture. We are not talking about that. Keep your finger here. Just go with me back to Ephesians for one moment, Ephesians chapter 3. Please understand this. And then I will just briefly repeat something we learned. In Ephesians chapter 3, just for time, I'll look at, I mean, Ephesians chapter 5, just for time, I'll look at just verse 3. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you. In other words, not even one time, as is proper among saints. To put it very bluntly, as I did last time, immorality, impurity, greed, um, adultery, um, thievery, drunkenness, those are direct violations of Scripture. Direct violations. We're not talking about that. There's no opinion there. If you're going to get involved in adultery, it's sin, period. Drunkenness, sin, period. Period. We can't, we've already learned that you cannot violate any direct prohibition you cannot violate your conscience, and you cannot act when it's not in faith. Any of those things are sin. But what about all the other areas? Go back to Romans chapter 14. There are many areas that you have opinions about. And just to put to bed right away, and you can sit down personally with me if you want on this, whatever. But 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10 and Romans chapter 14. I'm going to Romans 14. I've heard so many times that has no application today. It's dealing with idolatry worship. Don't tell me that at all. You're not going to get anywhere. You'll have to argue with someone else. Why? Because he's dealing with areas of opinion. Look what he does in Romans. He's pretty specific. In Romans chapter 14, if you look at verse 2, he talks about food. He says, And one who eats is not to regard one with contempt. Now that's verse 3, verse 2. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but to him who is weak, it's vegetables only. That's food. Go to verse 5. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. He's just talking about differences. That was dealing with special days. Go to verse 21. Verse 21, Romans chapter 14. Uh, uh, it is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. Now he's dealing with wine. He went from eating, and then he did days, and then he even gets into the concept of drinking wine. He's dealing with practical areas of life. And that's the areas we're going to have differences. And one will have an opinion in this direction, another one will have an opinion in that direction, and how do we behave? First of all, before we get to how do we behave, which is the end of this week and the beginning of next week, or all of next week, are there any guidelines to help us, Pastor Dan, Yes, there are. And here, let me give you some. And you can jot them down. Are there any guidelines when it comes to areas that the scriptures don't say, don't do this, uh, do this? Yes, here they are quickly. Number one, know what the scriptures allow and prohibit explicitly. And there's no room there. Know what it says. If the scriptures say, don't be a thief, you're violating it, if you are, plain and simple. Number two, that was easy. Know what the scriptures 
clearly imply. Now, that's a little tougher. What do you mean? The Trinity. There is no place in the scripture that you can point to that says there it says the Trinity or the word rapture. But it's very clear when you look at, it just came into my head, Matthew 28. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then you look at Corinthians and he says, you sinned against the Spirit and you sinned against God. It's obvious that God's the Spirit and Jesus Christ is God with us. These verses are just popping into my mind right now. It's obviously the scripture teaches the Trinity. So you also need to know where it's clearly implied by the language, though it may not use the terminology. The third one is very important. Do not go beyond the scriptures. Now I'm not done. Do not go beyond the scriptures in judging the standards of others. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm laying these principles down because I'm not going to repeat them later. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I want you to look at verses 5 and 6. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Corinthian church, says this. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will, do, who will bring both uh, to light the things that are hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. This is an area, by the way, that often as Christians we go wrong. Don't be judging other people's motives. You don't know. You don't know what they're thinking. Don't tell me you do. And that's what even Paul says. He says, let the Lord take care of that. And then each man, praise will come to him from God. Let God judge the motives and get the praise. And obviously, you've already seen in Romans, I didn't get the verse 6 here yet, but in Romans, remember it says, he's God's servant. God will judge him. Don't you be judging the servant. We'll get back to that. Verse 6. Now, as these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn, watch, not to exceed what is written. Do not go beyond what is written, so that no one will uh, become arrogant in behalf of one against another. You can look at the context of that. I encourage you to. But the point is very simple. Don't go beyond what is written. That's what the Pharisees did, folks. As far as I know, everybody in this church would be critical of the Pharisees. But that's exactly what they did. In fact, it was so bad that when Jesus Christ came on the scene, he kept saying, you heard that it said this? Let me tell you what it says. And he went right back to the scriptures. And I'm going to tell you that in Christianity circles, that's what's happening. The scriptures say this. I don't see that it says that. Oh, yes, it does. Where? Someplace. Why? Because it's my standard. And that's really what it is. It's really what it is. So know what the scriptures say directly. Know what they clearly teach. Don't go beyond the scriptures. And then what? Use wisdom on your freedom. That's pretty broad, Pastor Dan. Well, I'm going to give you a couple of other subpoints to that. Use wisdom and the freedom when, you, when you're not directly violating scripture and you're not going beyond the scripture. Use wisdom. How do I do that? A couple of passages. Uh, and for time, let's go to 1 Corinthians and also to Romans. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for a minute. 1 
1 Corinthians chapter 10. Point number one under the wisdom in using your freedom is this. Is it profitable or is this going to benefit me? Verse 23 of chapter 10. All things are lawful. No debate there. But not all things are profitable. Fair enough? Yeah. Make a wisdom judgment. Is this really beneficial to me to do this? Is it really profitable for me to do that? Number two, will it be edifying to me in the body? Look at the rest of the verse. All things are lawful. They're okay. But not all things are edifying. And you say, well, I'm not concerned about edification. You should be. I should be. I should be concerned with building up the body. I should be concerned with building up my spiritual life. So I have the liberty, and I'm not telling you what to do. What I'm saying is make a wise judgment, but ask yourself, is it profitable? Is it going to edify? Go back to chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians for the third one. Look at verse 12. And in past messages, I've looked back. I've spent weeks on these things. I'm giving them to you in rapid fire because the whole series is dealing with unity, and I want to really get to our attitudes and then the application of music. In verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but do not, uh, but, excuse me, not all things are profitable. We saw that already. All things are lawful, and here's the other one. But I will not be mastered by anything. Paul did not want to be brought under control by anything. And you have to ask yourself that in your own life, and so do I, all the time. If I get involved in this activity, if I get involved in this item or that item, or don't get involved, am I going to be mastered by that? And again, I'll be honest with you, most of the time we would say, no. Let me really hit home. Can you do without watching a sporting event? Can you do without knowing all the statistics about a sporting event? Can you do without knowing everything there is to know about a guitar or whatever there is? Can you, what occupies your time? What occupies your thinking? Because a lot of people that say, I'm not mastered by it, they could tell you everything about it because they spend more time on that than they do reading the Word. More time on that than the things of God. And then they'll say, I'm not mastered by it. Can you get up today and go through the day without doing that or participating in that? And if you say, no, I can't do that. I have to do that. I, I like to jog. Can you get up and not jog? Well, if I can't do that, then I'm mastered by it. And I can, by the way. I can. If I do it, I do it. If I don't, if I don't get to it, I don't get to it. I try to work it on my schedule. But whatever. But if I can't do it, no big deal. If I don't, if I eat this or I don't eat this, you're addicted. That's what it is. You won't, you won't admit it. I'm not to be mastered by anything but God. But God. So is it controlling me? All right, go back to, uh, well, one more in, well, let me go back to Romans 14 because time is escaping. Go to Romans 14. Some other principles. Will it cause another brother to stumble? That was Romans chapter 14, verse 13. I should be asking this. Why do I ask these questions? Because I want to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Is it profitable? Is it edifying? Is it going to control me? 
Will it cause another brother to stumble? Now let me read the verse and I want to say something very briefly. But look at verse 13 of 14. Therefore, let none of us judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, what? Don't put a st an obstacle or a stumbling block in your brother's way. Now, because of time, I'm just going to go right to the point. Most people don't understand what a stumbling block is. You cannot stumble a brother who's not going to violate his conscience. And too many strong believers misuse this. And they say, you're stumbling me. I, well, are you going to do that? No, then you're not stumbled. There's no obstacle in your way. You know what they're using that statement for? They don't like what you're doing. And they don't want to let you do it. They got freedom to do it. That's not the right use of the word stumbling. Stumbling block is where it's going to cause you to fall into sin. But if you're not going to be caused to fall into sin, they have liberty to do it. You don't. You have liberty. They don't. And that's the way it's supposed to function. So when I'm not supposed to put a stumbling block, I'm not supposed to, let me give you an example, to be very specific, and I, I didn't want to get into too many specifics today, it's next week, but let me just say this, only because of something that I know, it just, it was, it was recent. Someone taking a six pack of beer and doing it in the midst of people that they know have a problem with it. That is stupid. Stupid. Because they did cause someone else to violate. They did. Not knowing that they would. It was stupid. And that gets to the next one. Don't flaunt your liberty. I got the right to do this. Paul never acted that way. Paul was concerned about the body. He was concerned about what was going on. Is the freedom that I have, another point, and this is 1 Corinthians 9, you're going to have to look at it on your own. Is the freedom that I have a concern in this geographical area? You say, why should that ever come into play? Listen, Paul said, when I'm with the Romans, I'm concerned. When I'm with a Jew, I'm concerned. When I'm with a Gentile, I'm with a different concern. And his concern was to win people to Christ in that context. That's what he was concerned about most of all. But he was concerned about that area. Listen, generally speaking, though it's not always true, generally speaking, in New England, you can go to the beach and go swimming. If you're living in the South, where they have a real issue with mixed, I gotta get this right, swimming, I guess is the right expression, then you don't go mixed swimming. Why is it wrong? No, because you're concerned about the body and that geographical area has a problem with it. Next week you'll hear me repeat some things. There are parts in this world that today think that for Christians to watch a football game is wrong. Now I don't think it's wrong. But if I'm in that geographical area and I say, hey, by the way, I've got to watch the Super Bowl, that's stupid because it's, an, it's a problem over there in that area, you see? So I need to apply some wisdom. I need to know if it's profitable. I need to know if it's edifying. I need to know if I'm gonna be brought under control. Am I gonna stumble somebody? What about the geographical area? Is it likely to cause disunity? Am I flaunting my liberty? 
And I need to ask myself these type of questions. Now, here's another one. Is there a difference in your private, public, and church life? Yeah, absolutely. You say, Pastor Dan, that's a double standard. No, it's not at all. You may have the liberty to do something, and you'll do it in private, but because you are conscious of the body, maybe wearing shorts as an example. Now, that may not be an insult to anybody, but maybe wearing a shorts, wearing shorts will be a problem. I know of situations where in school areas and whatever, you wear shorts, you can't, you know, you're in trouble. You can't even be on staff and so forth and so on. That's okay. Respect that. But in private, you may act a little differently because why? That's an issue of opinion. It's an issue of opinion. And I need to be conscious of that. We all have to settle things individually. There are what we call non-negotiables. I need to really wrap this one up to get prepared to finish it next week with the foundational. There are non-negotiables that everybody should have. What does that mean? You won't have fellowship and you won't join in with people if they don't abide by the non-negotiables. What are those? First of all, it should be the gospel. I'll be honest with you. I will never participate with another church that doesn't have the gospel right. There's no joint participation. That is so clear in scripture. It's a non-negotiable. What does that mean? God, that he's only one, that he's just, that he's triune. Jesus Christ, I already told you that he was virgin born, that he's the only savior, that he's God in the flesh. They don't have that right. There's no sense in participating with them. That's a non-negotiable. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ, non-negotiable. Anybody's going to talk about good works? I got nothing in common with them. How about the return of Christ? For me, and I know for this church, that's a non-negotiable. Why? Christ said he's coming back. That's clear in scripture. Somebody says he's not coming back, I don't want to participate with them and get involved with them. Let me tell you a couple of non-negotiables for me, and I believe for this church. The inspiration of scripture. And by the way, in case you don't think that's important to mention, today there's a big move away from that. Do you know that right now, you're probably well aware of it, even one of the translations of the Bible is being, come out, uh, being made so that it is acceptable to Muslims. And they are removing the name of Father. They are re removing the concept of Jesus Christ being the Son. That is a non-negotiable with me. Non-negotiable. All scripture was given by inspiration of God. It's clearly stated. And the inerrancy of scripture is a non-negotiable. With others, it's not. You may have personal non-negotiables. What is it? I'll give you one of my personal non-negotiables. Male leadership. If I were not here and just attending another church and I saw a woman in the pulpit, you can argue with me all you want. It's a non-negotiable for me. Why? Not because, and you can say, uh, because you're a man and you're strong and all. No, that's really not the principle. I can turn you to Timothy. I can turn you to the book of Timothy. For this church, a non-negotiable is spiritual gifts and how they function. In other words, what about the charismatic movement? There may be believers there, but I'm not going to cooperate with them. It's going to cause confusion because we don't agree with the function of those spiritual gifts today. There's some of them, that is. For families, there's all kinds of different things that are non-negotiables for you. You have to determine that. But when it comes to the areas of preference beyond the non-negotiables, such as what? A Bible translation 
and even though I mentioned the other one because it's really changing the word, the Bible translation issue, that's an opinion. It's an opinion. Entertainment, those are areas of opinion. The ordinances of the church, Pastor Dan, you really stepped over the bounds then. Really? I believe, and we believe in this church, there's two. But there's a lot of godly men that believe there's three, that feet washing should still be carried out. Is that a non-negotiable? It may be with you. But there's some reasoning on whether there's two or three. And we can get into other areas. The key is this that I want to leave you with today. We're going to have differences. We ought to make some determinations. And I tried to stick to just how you and I can make those determinations because we are endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And the last message next week is going to deal solely with our attitudes. And I'm going to give you some text that show you how not to react and some text on how to react. But for simplicity, Romans chapter 14 gets us going on that today. Go back to Romans 14. Look at verse 3. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. Why? Because he's accepted. God accepts him. Go to verse 10. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? And the bottom line is this that's going to lead into the practicality working itself out, Lord willing, next week. Don't be judging your brother as far as a spiritual walk or anything else in areas where there's opinions. And don't you despise or hold in contempt those who are exercising or not exercising, because that's what we do. We end up going back and forth. And that's where that second verse that we never got to in Ephesians talks about it. We had a, it requires humility. It's the verses, we'll see them again next week, on the side of this church. When it comes to areas of opinion, I am not to judge someone else, nor am I to hold someone in contempt because they don't agree with me. In other words, I don't go talking about them. I don't go judging their spirituality. I don't go judging whether they're saved. When in reality, if I'm honest with scripture, it doesn't say. It has to be built upon principle both for me and for them. It is affected by my background. It is affected by their background. It is affected by where they were brought up. It's affected by what religion they were in before they got saved. All of that affects those areas and their struggles with things honestly before God. And if it's not specifically a violation, and I've been careful to deal with the unity of the body, I am not to judge them in that area. And I will show you, I hope all of you will be here next week, but I'm going to be reading some things from the pulpit that will probably be shocking to some of you. And what I mean by that, things that churches do. And I'm talking about to prepare you such things as invitations. Such things as type of music. That's practical. Such things as the way people dress. And churches are divided. Why? Because people aren't endeavoring for the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. 
To what? Preserve it. To preserve it. So next week we'll get into some specifics, but keep this in mind. We ought to preserve it. Preserve it. Preserve it. God established it. We ought to be diligent, always thinking about how it affects the body in whatever decisions I make or you make. Let's pray. Father in God, I thank you for this time together today. I pray that you'd help us to realize that it is the gospel, it is Christ that has brought us together. That, Father, as human beings, we still have not only the personal struggles in our flesh, but we have differing opinions. We have to establish standards, which is a good thing. And, Father, we will have differences. But there's no need to have disharmony when differences exist. Help us to watch how we judge other people's motives, how we treat other, uh, other brothers and sisters in Christ. And I pray, Father, as we deal with the specifics next week, that it would help us to have a right attitude ourselves so that you would get the honor and glory, so that we would learn to function as a body, as one, even with the differences we may have. And we ask these things now in Christ's name. Amen. Chris.